Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Today's letter is a letter to the woman raising twice exceptional children. Today's letter is sponsored by Pink Salt Riot. Pink Salt Riot is all about spreading joy in a world that is sorely lacking joy and realizing that true joy comes from Christ. Head on over to pinksaltriot.com to explore their beautiful and joy-inspired jewelry, accessories, and free resources. I love their Irish spring collection, which makes for great Easter gifts. When it comes to parenting, there are a lot of decisions to make. From how you want to give birth to what you will feed your littles, there are so many choices. Then, when it comes time for school, there are endless options when it comes to education. Today on the podcast, Jenny from Not So Formulaic and I visit about her parenting journey and how she and her husband navigated decisions when it came to parenting. She shares about learning that her daughter is twice exceptional and how that's impacted their lives, and she also shares about how important it is to find great community. She is an incredible advocate for her children, and even if you're not a parent, I think you'll love Jenny's suggestions for how to come alongside parents that you know and how to support them. I loved visiting with Jenny, and I cannot wait to share our conversation with you. So we're welcoming to the podcast Jenny Coaches, who is a Catholic wife, mom, and blogger who I met through the Catholic Social Media Influencers Group, and we're here to talk today about her family and her home, how she homeschools her children. Um, and so welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Thanks for sharing your morning coffee with me and getting up early. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised... Um, by my dad. Um, he was born in 1930. So oh, wow. he was older mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when he had me and he was definitely a pre-Vatican II Catholic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he, you know, I was raised, it was funny. It was like a, um, my mother was um, a convert. So she converted from the Christian church. Um, she grew up in a really small town in rural North Carolina called Farmville. Well, actually, Farmville is like the surrounding town, but she was in Bell Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, um, when she met my father, who was about 14 years older um, than she was, uh, when they got married, um, she converted to Catholicism. So I was raised in this, um, you know, I was raised by a pre-Vatican II Catholic and then a convert who had very, you know, kind of Protestant, yeah, um, not, well, I guess tendencies, you know, she was very... Um, <sighs> it was all about, you know, the, the personal relationship with Jesus. So I got kind of like the best of both worlds, not that, you know, one is better than the other, but you know, there were, there were aspects of it that blended. Um, so, you know, we, it was a very traditional, um, Catholic upbringing, um, but also just kind of the, the warmth, um, of, you know, my mother's background. Um, and so I, um, you know, grew up, in love with my faith, mm-hmm. um, and didn't really even question any of it until I got to college, oddly enough. Well, no, not oddly. I think that's normal. Yep. Very <laughs> um, normal. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and, but it wasn't even really like I was questioning. It was more just like, uh, oh my gosh, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. Why do I have to work you yep. know, any harder? You know, do I really have to go to mass? You know, it's not going to matter if I just miss once. Um, and then I, I got involved, um, I went to the university of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. So I got involved with, um, the Catholic campus ministry down there and life team at the local parish. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually, um, I credit like kind of a lot of the rebirth of my faith. Um, not that there was much that needed to be reborn, but, um, to a woman by the name of Darla Hickman, um, who actually she's, um, her son, Innie runs Adora Ministries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, 
I had the opportunity to work with them for two years when I was in Houston, and that was like a real big boon um, for me. So, um, you know, I met my husband through Catholic ministry or campus ministry down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I graduated, I came back home because my dad was sick mm-hmm. and uh, Dan followed me and we got married. Oh. And um, then my dad passed away mm-hmm. and then we you know, started our family and that's, you know, we've been raising them Catholic ever since. That's so, <laughs> so cool. How many little, kind of short version. how many littles do you and Dan have together? We have three. Um, our oldest is 11 mm-hmm. and then seven and then three. Um, they're spaced like four years apart. That's awesome. So, Very good. Yeah. So your daughter, you write about this on your blog. Your daughter was diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder when she was five, right? Yeah, it, it was in kindergarten. Um, you know, I, she, we always knew she was different, <laughs> um, but we weren't sure exactly how different until we sent her to kindergarten. And then things just kind of fell apart. She had a really tough um, year in kindergarten. She was in the principal's office a lot. Um, And so, yeah, we, um, we went through an evaluation and discovered that, um, well, it it confirmed some things we knew Mm -hmm. she had a very high IQ. Mm -hmm. um, So she was on the the gifted range, but then they identified her under the autism spectrum, um, primarily under Asperger's. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, we did not agree um, mm-hmm. because what we saw at home is different right. from what we saw at, from what they saw at school. So, we sought out um, two additional evaluations from two separate people because the first time we went through the school system, um, and eventually, what it came down to is that she has um, a lot of the tendencies of a gifted child, mm-hmm. which can at times masquerade like an autism spectrum disorder. Right. But she's also um, she does have sensory processing disorder, so. And that does place her on the spectrum, mm-hmm. um, but not, it doesn't qualify her as having like level one autism, uh-huh. which is what they refer to um, Asperger's as now. Okay. So what, yeah. how did that look like for you guys as parents? Like what changes happened in your life after you found out about that diagnosis? I think, well, it was, it was a mixture of, I think, relief, mm-hmm. but also a lot of grieving. Yeah. Um, I think when we first got the, the autism diagnosis, I felt like I had really failed my daughter mm-hmm. because for some reason I equated it with me not being able to fix her mm-hmm. or make her work right. Yep. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of um, blaming anybody I could think of, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so once we got the sensory processing disorder, diagnosis, it made sense more Mm -hmm. than the autism. Um, and it it gave me, I I don't know. I think then I had mixed feelings. I was like, well, you know, do I love her more because it's not autism? Mm. Do I love her less because it's this, you know? So, um, we're still working through it. I mean, there are days when, um, we feel like, we're just not sure that she will ever, not that she will ever succeed, but that mm-hmm. she'll really struggle the rest of her life. And then there are days when we feel like she's fine and we don't even know why we went through all of that. Right. right. Um, so, you know, it, it's still an emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. um, to this day. I think, you know, it, it, there's particular challenges that she faces just by virtue of having the IQ that yeah. she has. Um, so, 
it's an it's an adventure every day and I'm never quite sure you know where it's going to take me right and you guys are still in the trenches too like it's not like you're looking back on all the school years like you're in the middle of it still yeah yeah and that's why we one of the reasons we decided to homeschool because it just seemed like it would be an easier path Mm -hmm. um both for us but also primarily for her because it would give her the space that she needed. Mm-hmm. You know, we could pick and choose our activities. She could be around people when she wanted to. And then when she needed to decompress, we could be at home and decompress. Um, right. So it was a choice we made just to make, um, to, to give her a chance to thrive. And she has, and that's, and that's been great. That's so neat. Kind of going back to something that you mentioned when you were talking about when you, you were working through these different results from tests and things and how you battled a lot of different emotions as a mother. Do you, For people who have children who are either going through the diagnosis process or they're sitting there looking at the results, do you have any more practical tips of like, how do you combat you know judgment and guilt as a mom when your daughter struggled outside her home environment? I think the most important thing is to realize that your child hasn't changed, mm-hmm. you know, and that this is the same baby that God gave you, you know, the day that you found out that you were pregnant. It's not, um, there's no magical transformation. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, the other thing to keep in mind is that a label, you know, people kind of freak out when they hear the word label, but I, I don't think a label is necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when, if you look at it as, you know, the label just becomes your child, Mm-hmm. then it's a problem. Right. But if the label is a tool, mm-hmm. um, something that can help you get the services that you need to help your child survive, not just survive, but thrive. Yeah. Um, then I think, you know, that's key. And so um, one of the other things that I did um, is I started writing, you know, little letters and notes to her mm-hmm. um, as a way to help us reconnect. Mm. Um, because the, that whole kindergarten year, you know, that, that whole diagnosis, all of that kind of broke our relationship a little bit. Yep. It, um, you know, I, I loved her, but I wasn't sure that I liked her because I was really angry mm-hmm. about some of the things we were going through. Because when I, when I envisioned having children, I assumed that they would excel in school and have friends right. and, you know, all the things that I thought normal kids would do. And, you know, suddenly it appeared to me that I didn't have a quote unquote normal child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then I had to realize that you know, normal is what I make of it. Right. Um, and that, you know, she is still, she always has been a huge blessing created specifically the way God desired her to be and that she's not broken. Right. Um, so that would be, I mean, it's not really practical advice. That would just be <laughs> like my emotional advice. Yeah. You're you know, I, I think practical advice. Yeah. Um, I guess my practical advice would be just be seeking out, um, support groups, you know, and, and getting just garnering as much knowledge as you possibly can. Um, you know, and reading about the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and not just from one source, but from a variety of sources and, you know, being able to, to make an informed decision about the therapies that you seek out, um, and whether or not you want to pursue medication, if that's even a possibility, mm-hmm. you know, I think information is key because the more, you know, the less you feel like you're adrift, right. Um, without an anchor. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So then when you transitioned to homeschooling your daughter, what did mm-hmm. that, what did that look like? So you came from a background of being a high school English teacher. Was she the first child was- that you had homeschooled? What did that look like for you as like a teacher? And then when it comes to education decisions or parents, 
how like from from your end and having gone through that discernment process what should parents look to when it comes to deciding on how to pick a best school environment for their children sure um you know when i was in the classroom i i kind of figured out that traditional school doesn't work for everybody mm-hmm. you know and um i think you have to fit a certain mold mm-hmm. um for the the standard school environment. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some, some children do really well mm-hmm. in that environment and teachers work really hard. I know I did. Um, you know, I, I wanted to reach all of my kids and I wanted all of my students to succeed, right. but sometimes there are certain children in certain situations where that's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that even with the, the really gifted kids that I had in my classroom, you know, the ones that were off the charts, um, they were the ones who never turned their homework in. You know, they were the ones who were off in their own world during class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily the high achievers. And so when I, when I had my own children um, and began to see that same kind of disconnect between ability and achievement, um, that's when I realized that, you know, school doesn't work for everybody regardless. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a boilerplate solution. So um, she was the first child I decided to homeschool. Um, mm-hmm. and we started in first grade and it was not, you know, I, I didn't come to it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I probably should have pulled her out of kindergarten halfway through mm-hmm. or even when we started having trouble, but I just wanted so badly for her to have a Catholic education because okay. I had had one. Right. Um, you know, and, and I wanted that for her. So, um, I was nervous mm-hmm. about being able to approach it correctly. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to challenge her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a toddler at the time um, who was very active and needed a lot of engagement. Um, so that was tricky also. Um, you know, I, I think what you have to consider is what situation is going to be the best for your family at that moment, at that time. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm kind of really fond of saying is that, you know, you reevaluate year by year. Yep. So it's every child every year. So you look at where your child is in that moment. And then you say, you know, what is it specifically that my child needs? Do we continue homeschooling mm-hmm. or, you know, do we need to consider a schooling situation? Like my, my seven-year-old right now, she has, um, She's also a twice exceptional, you know, which means that she's gifted and has um, some additional challenges. Mm-hmm. Her challenge is anxiety. Um, she has high, high anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. She wants to go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, she asks. And then we approach the idea or we start moving forward with it. And then she gets really nervous and terrified and then backs right. down. Right. Um, so she, I'm not sure if she could handle the school environment either, mm-hmm. um, just because of the, the extreme amount of anxiety she has, she gets worried, you know, even when it's cloudy outside, we can't really go for walks because she's afraid there'll be a rainstorm or, right, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, with her, if the anxiety continues to be at the level where it is right now, we will continue to homeschool just mm-hmm. so that I can give her again, that respite that she needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then with my three-year-old, um, you know, we'll probably put him in preschool mm-hmm. just because he needs, um, he just needs, son. he's a boy and I, this is my first boy that I've ever raised. So yeah. it's like a totally different game. Yeah. It's they're completely different. <laughs> yeah. Like climbing the walls, yep. throwing things. It's not what I anticipated. So, um, yeah, he needs, I mean, the other two went to preschool and they, then they enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. I, I think he needs it too. So again, it's just, you know, every child, every year, 
where's your child? Where's your home life? Mm-hmm. You know, because at the same time, you don't want to, you know, homeschooling is definitely a calling. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it, if it begins to damage, you know, your relationship with your husband or even your relationship with your kids, then it's time to really, or even, you know, damage your relationship with yourself or with right. God if you're to be overwhelmed, you know, then it's something you definitely need to reevaluate, you know, and fortunately there are so many options out there for mm-hmm. families who homeschool. Um, you know, you can join co-ops, you can join hybrid schools. Um, like Regina Cayley mm-hmm. is pretty much nationwide and they do school, um, I think it's three days a week mm-hmm. and then they're home two days. Um, and then I was in a program called, um, Aquinas learning, mm-hmm. which, you know, I sent them to school one day a week and they were home for four days. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's plenty of options available. You just have to, you know, consider where you are and what's going to be best for your kids at that point in time. Yeah. So. I love that advice. I think especially I, I was homeschooled K through 12 and I think it's really easy to have that be like an identifier, like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, I was homeschooled or even for parents, you know, Oh, I'm a homeschool parent. I'm a homeschool mom and how easy mm-hmm. it is to wrap your identity in that. And so I think just yes. like the conscious, like every year, every child this year, I may not be a homeschool mom. That doesn't take away my right. identity. That doesn't make me less or not enough. Sure. It's just a decision. So yeah, I love that piece of advice. I wish, yeah, I'm glad like before we have kids here on earth, that's just such a good thing to keep in mind because yeah, so important. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as a parent to a twice exceptional child, have there been moments where you felt overwhelmed, moments where you felt lonely? How did you react in those situations? And what would you tell other parents of twice exceptional children who are feeling like they're, they're completely alone in this? Um, yes, I have. And, uh, not always well, <laughs> you know? um, then, yeah. Um, I think, oh gosh, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, you know, there, of course, because twice exceptionality or even, you know, having a kid on the autism spectrum or, or having a kid with anxiety or, you know, ADHD or any of those things, you know, it's an invisible disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you go out in public, people can't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. All they see is a child having a meltdown. Yep. And then the assumption is that something is wrong with your parenting. Not always, mm-hmm. not always, but, uh, but on occasion, like I had this one experience where, um, oh gosh, my seven year old, she was two mm-hmm. and it was in the middle of kindergarten. So we had just dropped off my oldest and we stopped by Walmart on the way home. And one of the things that's common in gifted children is um, sleep is kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. They don't sleep very much or sleep consistently. Um, and with all the stress we had going on in our home, um, you know, my my middle child was basically living on fumes and Hershey kisses. Like oh. it was just not a good situation. <laughs> um, and so, you know, against my better judgment, I, you know, took her to Walmart at like 8.15 in the morning, mm-hmm. thinking that I would just pick up a few things and then we could go home and then she could nap. Mm-hmm. Well, I made the mistake of walking through the, um, I don't know, I walked through some section, I guess it was the accessory section for kids. Uh-huh. And she saw this like pink doggy purse mm-hmm. with sequins and she went nuts. She wanted the doggy purse. And we were financially strapped. I mean, we're always financially strapped, but yeah. we were paying Catholic school tuition at the mm. time. And so we were more so than usual. Yep. And I, you know, I, I told her that I couldn't buy the doggy purse and she flipped out. Oh. She had 
a massive meltdown right there in the store. Mm -hmm. And because it was Walmart and because it was early in the morning, like her voice just echoed everywhere. Yep. And this woman, it was horrible. This woman came up to me and started accosting me. She was like, what are you doing to her? Are you pinching her? Why is she screaming? What's wrong? Normal children don't do that. You must be abusing her. What the heck? And the woman followed me. It was horrible. She followed me all over the store. Gosh, Um, watching me like hanging back and then I finally got her to I finally got my daughter to calm down uh-huh. and we got through the checkout line and there was a lollipop and she wanted a lollipop and uh-huh. it started the whole thing all oh. over again gosh dang it and the woman came back up to me and was like really I think you're abusing this child you know there my none of my kids have ever done this and oh. she followed me out into the parking lot and watched me get in my car oh yeah, and so by the time I got in the car, I was in hysterics. Right. And I called my husband. And I was like, you know, be prepared. CPS is going to come knock on our door because right. this woman thinks that I am abusing our daughter. Oh. You know, and I turned around to my toddler and I was like, you can't do that mm-hmm. in the store. People think I'm hurting you. And she was like, you're not hurting me. I just want my doggy purse. Oh, <laughs> she knows what's going on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, um, you know, yes, there are moments where I felt alone and there are moments where I felt like no one understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there have been times where I've seen, you know, my middle child is, is very sensitive and um, empathic. Mm-hmm. You know, so she picks up on, on social cues and mm-hmm. she can tell when somebody is, you know, doesn't want to hang out with her or is, you know, making fun of her. Mm-hmm. And that's painful. And yeah. then my oldest daughter really can't. Mm-hmm. So that's painful on that end too, you know, because I see it and she doesn't get it. Right. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that's the, where the importance of community comes in. Mm-hmm. Being able to find a group of people who understand what you're going through because, you know, I'm, I'm part of lots of mom groups, you know, on, on Facebook and, and even in real life. And mm-hmm. sometimes the experiences that I have, um, you know, if I explain them or say, you know, this thing happened, you know, I, I don't get a lot of understanding, you know, immediately the, well, have you tried coconut oil or, you know, know, what about this change in diet or, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I just can't, you know, or, or the kind of thing of, oh, you know, gosh, my, my daughter's been sleeping through the night since she was, you know, three months old. Oh, you know, yeah. they just don't, you know, they don't, it's not, it's not within a frame of reference. Right, right. Um, so trying to find a place where you aren't um, feeling like the odd woman out, mm-hmm. I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I think I'm rambling at this point. Nope, <laughs> nope, to... not at all. <laughs> like answering your question um you know but yeah and and I think also making sure one thing that really helped me actually is I researched um saints who um had the same kind of struggles that Mm -hmm. my children did Mm -hmm. um and St. Joseph of Cupertino was one of them um who really stuck out to me he um was frequently accused of being out of it Mm um everybody thought he was kind of dumb. Um, he would have these like raging fits, uh, where he couldn't really communicate with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it turned out that he was just in these amazing mystical ecstasies, um, where you know, nobody really understood what was going on because they couldn't see what was going on inside his heart and in his head and his, in his soul. All they right. saw was the outward appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me a great deal of comfort. Um, you know, and, and it kind of helped me realize that, you know, 
my children are designed, you know, as I mentioned earlier, specifically to be this way and that there is something special and unique about them that the world needs. Um, and so even when, you know, we do feel alone and like we've been kind of left out or left behind, mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a purpose for what we're going through. We just might not necessarily be able to see it right now. Yeah. Um, so. I love how you mentioned the saints because it's so important to realize like not only are we not necessarily we're not alone here on earth like we have you know finding authentic community but we're not even you know if that's a struggle an authentic community isn't fulfilling that like we're part of the body of christ and there's a community in heaven yeah. who's been through that too it's that yeah what a great Absolutely. yeah what a great reminder thank you for listeners who aren't parents to twice exceptional children themselves but they know and love someone who has a child who's twice gifted what's the best way that they can come alongside them and support them um, you know, I think just expressing to those people that they accept them, mm -hmm. you know, for who they are, that it, that it's okay if, you know, if you have people or friends and family over for dinner and they bring an entirely separate lunch or dinner mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> um, for their child, you know, because my oldest is a selective eater. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are she basically has like 10 foods that she'll eat. So, mm -hmm. you know, whenever we go somewhere, we pack something separate. Um, and most of our good friends know, and they don't even bat an eye, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we've been in other situations where people have been like, oh, you know, she'll get hungry. You know, she'll eat when she's hungry. And then, no, she won't. Yep. <laughs> she really won't nope. when she's hungry. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think just extending that hand of, you know, acceptance yep. and friendship. Um and being willing to take your friends, you know, where they are um, and, and not be, you know, not make comments and just be the best you can as far as like being accepting of them. Um, and I find for the most part, you know, most people are. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, you know, it, sometimes it takes a little getting used to um, and maybe a little bit of explanation. Mm -hmm. uh, and also offering, you know, to babysit maybe sometimes so that, you know, the parents can go out. Um, right. You know, cause that, that can be hard, especially to find a sitter, um, who can handle our crew, you know, <laughs> um, we've been lucky in that, you know, we, we live in a, um, an area where there are a lot of, um, sitter options. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're fortunate in that way, but not everybody else is. So, um, you know, being able to, to let a couple go out, even if it's just for coffee, um, without having to worry about, you know, who's going to watch their kids, Right. Um, I think it's helpful too. Yeah. So very much so for parents who are parents of twice exceptional children, how can you be an advocate for your children and your family situation? I think there's a lot of stereotypes around the word gifted or exceptional yes. and people make a ton of assumptions, um, about yeah. your kids. So how do you break those stereotypes and, and advocate for twice exceptional children? Well, um, I, I think the foremost way I've done it is through my writing, but also um, just being honest, you mm -hmm. know, and, and explaining and educating people. You know, the, the word gifted, you're right, does carry a lot of negative connotations. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I, I prefer the term like neurodivergent mm -hmm. um, because and, and that that term gets applied to kids on the autism spectrum as well. But the, the truth about giftedness is that it it is actual actually like a a different wiring of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, so what it means is that um, a gifted individual 
their brain from the beginning is formatted in a way that um, takes in information and then processes it, processes it at an extremely high rate of speed Mm -hmm. and does it very efficiently. So what ends up happening is other areas of the brain um, don't develop as quickly Mm -hmm. or they tend to short circuit. So um, when you have somebody who is gifted, you're going to have a lot of extra things that go along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Asynchronous development is one of them where a child's intellectual capacity doesn't um, correlate with their emotional development. Mm -hmm. So like when my daughter went into kindergarten, she was reading um, Tolkien, you know, she was reading The Hobbit, she was reading Lord of the Rings, but emotionally she was like four years old, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Um, She was way behind. Um, So there's there's that. Um, There's also um, sensitivities and overexcitabilities. Mm -hmm. So what that refers to is Um, a lot of the things that make kids appear as though they have something on the autism spectrum or or, are on the the spectrum themselves. So like um, sensual, um, oh gosh, what are they called? They're sensual, imaginational, intellectual. um, One of them has to do with like physical activity. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the idea is that um, they react to certain situations much more strongly than um, the standard population would. Mm -hmm. So you get really dramatic meltdowns, you get a lot of hyperactivity, you get a lot of constant talking, mm-hmm. um, conversation, and it also lends, giftedness also lends itself toward anxiety and depression also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I also, I always like to think about um, some of, you know, the world's famous American authors, I guess, mm-hmm. um, like Hemingway and Plath and Fitzgerald mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I think mostly like, you know, early American, but, mm-hmm. um you know, they committed suicide, you know, yeah, because they, right. they, you know, ended their lives because it was, it was such a burden to have, um, you know, the gift that they did have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I think is why it's so important to advocate for these kids because there's so much that can go on in the brain, mm-hmm. um, that having that ability to, um, process information rapidly, you know, isn't necessarily a gift, um, so much as it is just an aspect. Yep. Um, and you know, I, I think helping people learn about that or be aware that giftedness really is a special need, Mm -hmm. um, and not a privilege or Mm -hmm. a matter of elitism. I think that will help, um, a great deal. Yeah. That's my hope. Yeah. That's a completely different way or like shifting the paradigm completely into the stereotype that's typically associated with people who are gifted and looking at it Mm -hmm. as an aspect of their character. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, you're in the process of writing a book about raising children with invisible disabilities from a Catholic perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Where did that inspiration for that book come from, and how's the writing process going for you? Um, well, the inspiration for it, I think, just came from, um, I don't know, I, I think my own experiences of feeling like, you know, there were all these parenting and self-help books and books on Catholic womanhood, but there was nothing that really pertained to my specific situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there were plenty of secular books that did, but I felt like they were all missing something. Yep. And um, I had been thinking about it for a while, and I just said, you know, God, if this is something that you think I should do, then, you know, help me figure out that this is what you want. And then literally, like, the next day, um, I got a message from a woman in my area um, who is kind of an expert on invisible disabilities in the educational field. And she's also a Catholic. 
Um, and she said, you know, hey, I've been thinking about writing this book and I wanted to know if maybe you were interested in co-authoring it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, I, I guess that's my sign. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes he's not subtle. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've we've been working on it. Um, you know, I've talked to a couple of different um, publishing outlets and, um, you know, it's still we're both um, really busy moms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has, she's a mom to 10 children. Oh. Um, and you know, several of them have, um, invisible disabilities. And mm-hmm. then, um, she also works. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I have three mm-hmm. and I work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been hard trying to, you know, find time to dedicate to what we're trying to do, um, right. but we're working on it. And, um, in bits and pieces mm-hmm. and hopefully you know it'll be um coming together here soon um you know it's just a it's just a matter of finding the space yep. um, and the place to do it in so yep. yeah I um, love that seeing a resource that isn't there and knowing that if you're wanting something that fills that gap then more than likely other people are needing or wanting that resource as well so just jumping in and and creating it yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, I, maybe that's, I don't know, my dad was from Texas, so maybe that's the Texan in me, just, you know, seeing a, an uncharted frontier and go ahead and take it. But, Jumping um, in. Yeah. Yep. I love yeah. it. I love it. Where can listeners find you online? You're not only a, 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 a working on a book to author, but you also beautifully write on a blog that I love keeping in touch with. Um, and uh, in addition to your blog, which is an amazing resource um, for parents, if parents of twice exceptional children are looking for resources, where would you point them to? Um, well, there's a couple of places. Um, the gifted homeschoolers forum is a great one. Um, it's giftedhomeschoolers.org. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, um, sing supporting the emotional needs of the gifted mm-hmm. and, um, the national association of the gifted child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Davidson Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all secular. Mm. Um, so, um, you have to kind of, they're great. They're fantastic resources, but you really do have to weed through, um, right. Because not all of it comes from the perspective of, you know, really the theology of the body or anything that we, you know, as Catholics hold, Mm -hmm. um, dear or important. So, um, that's why I'm really trying to fill that space, um, you know, where I write, Mm -hmm. um, you know, on my blog. Um, but those, those resources would be the ones that I would suggest, you know, if people are looking for scholarly articles, Mm -hmm. um, or even just meetups or groups, um, you know, you can find other gifted families in your area, Mm -hmm. um, through those websites. Beautiful. And then you blog on not so formulaic. Um, I do. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where, what's the web address for your blog? Um, it's www.notsoformulaic.com. Um, and then you can find me, you know, on Facebook, um, it's facebook.com, not so formulaic. And then I'm on Instagram as, um, just my name, Jenny coaches. Perfect. And I'll put all of those resources you just mentioned and, and your sites and social media on the show notes as well for people to find too. For okay. sure. Perfect. So this right. is, this is the last question that I ask the people who come on the show. And it's one of my favorite questions to ask, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life as a mother and as a teacher? I think trying to be as receptive as I possibly can to my children, Mm. um, you know, and my husband, because he, you know, he really gets the shaft poor guy. (laughs) Um, you know, we just, our kids are so all consuming, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that 
our, you know, our, our marriage does come first, but it, it is a huge challenge to keep it there. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that's the case for, you know, for any family, um, but most especially for families with children with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think key, the key for me is being open mm-hmm. um, and, you know, being receptive to their needs mm-hmm. and to their um, emotional kind of um, desires mm-hmm. as as much as I can be, um, you know, without sort of losing myself. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's also a big challenge. Um, but yeah, that, I guess that would be my answer. That's beautiful. Thanks so much for your time today. It's been just so inspirational to sit here and listen to how well you know your littles, like how beautifully you've researched it, how knowledgeable you are in what your life looks like and how much of an advocate and a resource that you, your writing has been and, and who you are. So thanks so much for your time this morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening. To find out more about where Ginny writes, check out the show notes at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. There you're going to find all the resources that she mentioned in the podcast too. To get a sneak peek of episodes and help me decide who will be the next guest, join my Patreon team at patreon.com slash letters to women. If you have a few seconds, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Seeing new rates and reviews just helps make my day. Thanks for everything that you do to support me. And that's all I have for today. So until next time, be not afraid.